0: Welcome to the Island's Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. So we're gonna, uh, in Ephesians chapter four is where we are and we're continuing this series. We've been in this now. Uh, for uh, a lot of weeks. I think this is week 10. Uh, I think it's, um, if you're miserable with this, I'm really sorry, but I'm loving it. So, like, I'm loving it. And, and I'm a preacher. So, like, that, this kind of how it works. But um, if you, I want to remind you this every time we, we kind of start this every weekend, I remind you of this that there's letters in the New, New Testament, and Ephesians is a letter. So, just like you would sit down and write a letter, it's a letter written by a guy named Paul to a group of Christians under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he's writing a letter to a group of Christians in a region called Ephesus. And so all these people would have been in churches. They would have gotten the letter. They'd have been like, hey, we have a letter from Paul. Let's read it. And they would have all circled up, and people would have read the letter out loud. And that letter, uh, the letters written by Paul and Peter, uh, John, these letters were written, check this out, to help solve problems and conflict in the local churches. You may find this surprising, but the early churches, right, that were beginning and starting, they had conflict and had problems in them. Did you guys realize that? That's surprising, isn't it? Right. You would never think that so close to you know the beginning of the church that there would be problems and conflict. But actually, the the, the reason for every single letter that we have is uh, the the writer is addressing uh, problems and conflict and issues within that body. And so you know. Um, these letters form not only the first communication to that Christ, those Christians in that church, but they also form communication for us as a church, as a group of Christians. Does that make sense? So when we look at these letters, we don't need to think about like, oh, am I doing good? Am I not doing good? We need to think about our body, our church, our community, and say, hey, is our church, our community, are we? Do we need to? Take in some of this correction that's in this letter. Do we need to take in some of this encouragement that's in this letter? Because what was written first to those Christians at Ephesus, but it also applies to us, the Christians at islands. Does that make sense? This is how we read these letters. This is the way we go about reading them. Communities of Christians typically will have problems, and they need correcting, and they need help in the maturing process. The letters from the Christian writers, the Christian leaders, are tools for us to see how to grow and mature in our faith. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, I shared with you that in the Bible, prior to Jesus' coming, there were basically two categories of people according to the Bible. There were the Jews, and anybody remember the other one? Gentiles, very good. And pretty much everybody here is a Gentile, right? So it was the Jews and then the non-Jews, and that was the Gentiles. And this is pretty much all there was in the Bible. But then when Jesus came, if you remember a few weeks ago, when Jesus came, he created a third group, if you will. He created this third group where uh, we, as Christians, are citizens of God's kingdom. We, as Christians, are made members of God's household. Do you remember that whole conversation we had? And that God made you a citizen of his kingdom. He made you a member of his household. He made you part of his family, uh, a citizen in his nation. He did that for you through his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, he sent Jesus to bring you into the fold. So now, you, if you're a believer in Jesus... You're a member of the family of God. You're a citizen of God's kingdom brought in by God's Son. So, in the section we're about to read, Paul is telling these believers the way they used to be when they weren't believers. He's telling them that before you guys believed in the Son of God, before you came to know Jesus. Before you came to know the truth of Jesus and believe in Jesus and know him personally and allow that Jesus to change you, before you came to know Jesus, this is how you used to be. This is what you used to be. And then when you came to know Jesus and you got in relationship with Jesus, then what happened was Jesus changed your clothes. And that's the analogy he uses. He uses the analogy of changing our clothes. And we get that. We understand uh, changing our clothes today uh, in this room. Uh, is Tyler still in here? I don't see Tyler. So Tyler was here earlier. Tyler was here this morning sending his kid off to camp, and he was in a pair of shorts, uh, a t-shirt. And Tyler's like 6'2", good-looking guy too, by the way. I mean, just, like, just sharp-looking guy, right? He's like 6'2", military guy. He was in shorts, t-shirt, just kind of flip-flops, hair's all messed up, looked like he just crawled out of bed to drop his kids off for camp, right? And so I'm thinking to myself, it's like an hour before church, like, bro, I mean, we don't really have a dress policy. Like, it's cool, but I mean, maybe wash your face. Like, that would be good. You know what I mean? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't think any of that. So so uh, a little while later, he just leaves. He just leaves. I'm like, okay, I don't know where he's going. Well, then I see him in the room, and he's like, got on like a dress shirt, a pair of slacks, and he looks all. I'm like, wow, he went home, and what did he do? Changed his clothes. And so that's the same analogy that Paul uses. We understand what it means to change our clothes. There are certain things uh, that we can wear out in public and there are certain things we probably shouldn't. Like I, I've been wearing a lot of these uh, sweatpants lately. I didn't realize they were amazing like they are. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like these Nike sweatpants. I bought, I bought them on clearance. And I've been wearing them a lot around now, especially in the fall and the winter months. And uh, one day during the winter, I, just, I was just like leaving the house and I had my sweatpants on. And Marianne's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm just running to the store. She's like, Not like that, you're not. I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, you can't go out in those sweatpants. Those look terrible. I was like, what does it matter? But I went in and changed because I've been married 25 years, and here's the key. If you want to be married a long time, just do what she tells you, and it'll be fine. So I changed. We understand changing clothes. We get that. And so Paul uses this analogy of changing clothes. Like, before you came to know Jesus, before you were in a relationship with Jesus, and then when you came to know Jesus and you were in a relationship relationship with Jesus, there was a change of clothes, all right? So let's read this, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 17 through verse uh, 22. We're going to read verse 22, and then we'll read the rest in just a moment. This is what it says. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So he's using that term as the non-believers, as the non-believers do. The people who do not believe in Jesus, who do not know Jesus. You must no longer live as the non-believers, or as the ones who do not know Jesus do. In the future You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. You see that? To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God true righteousness and holiness. I read a little bit further than I said, but there you go. So, um, so Paul says, you as believers sitting right here. So let's just say that, let's just for sake of argument, Everybody in the room, let's just say we're believers in Jesus. We follow Jesus. We know Jesus. We know him personally. Paul says that those of us who are believers or followers of Jesus, we're different from people who are non-believers, people who do not know Jesus, people who do not follow Jesus. He holds uh, two defining characteristics for this group, for the group of people who do not know Jesus, for the group of people who do not follow Jesus. And he holds these two defining characteristics out. And what I'm about to share with you, these defining characteristics of non-believers, they they cannot be true of believers. In other words, if these two defining characteristics of non-believers are true of you, then you're not a believer in Jesus. You follow what I'm saying? So he holds out two defining uh, descriptions, if you will, of a person who doesn't know Jesus. And he says, if you don't know Jesus, this is the defining description of you. And if you do know Jesus, those two things cannot possibly be true of you. All right? So first of all, he says, the the Gentile or the non-believer, he says that their thinking is futile. So what does futile mean? It means it's useless. It's empty. It has no value whatsoever. He says their thinking is empty, futile. And their thinking is darkened. So it's it's not only is it useless, but the non-believer's thinking is darkened. What does it mean to have darkened thinking? All right, so n- n- not so now. My my thinking is useless. It's ignorant. It has no value. But then, darkened. If it's darkened, it actually carries the weight of evil. Because in the Bible, light and dark are always equal to God, light, righteousness, light, holiness, light, darkness, evil, rejection of God. Okay. So he says non-believers have this defining characteristic. Their thinking is empty and futile, and their thinking is darkened. Why? Because their hearts are hardened towards God. And because their hearts are hardened toward God, they are separated from the life of God. Now look, let me see if I can find this real quick in the passage so we can throw it back up on the screen. Verse 19, throw verse 19 back up on the screen, because this is the second characteristic. So the first characteristic is their thinking is futile or empty. It's darkened. In other words, they don't have good thinking. Their heart is hard toward God, um, and they have have ignorance, right? And then verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, having lost, so this is non-believers. having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So, first characteristic is your darkening is thinking and futile, you're, if you're not connected to Jesus, if you're not a believer. The second characteristic is you've lost all sensitivity to what? To the ways of God, to the values of God. You, you've, you've, given, you've given yourself over to the sensuality, uh, to indulge in every kind of impurity. Uh, so what does it mean to be, to, to be desensitized? To lose all sensitivity. When you guys read about the shooting in Hyde Park, Chicago, right? Did you guys see that news? Atrocious. Did you see that? If you're following the news, you know what I'm talking about? Mass shooting is atrocious. Uh, have you seen the kind of money that's poured into these families? The little boy who lost both his parents, the last time I checked, it was over $2 million in his GoFundMe. You guys seen this? You have any idea what I'm talking about? It's okay. Um, there's been this outcry, to, and I'm about to say something. It may, it, may, it may challenge some of us, but I'm going to do it anyway. There was this, there's this outcry. There's this, like, holy cow, a well-to-do neighborhood had a mass shooting, and a lot of well-to-do people were killed. Like Everybody was all of a sudden very sensitive to this fact, and it was crazy on the news. It's horrible. It's a horrible thing that happened. I read an article by a pastor from the south side of Chicago. A pastor in the south side on the other side of Chicago across the tracks, if you will. Where the skin tone is just different. And he said, we had that many people killed here just last weekend and two weekends before. And two weekends, we had just that same amount of kids killed. Why doesn't anybody talk about this? And this is what he said. He said, they're desensitized to the killing of our children. But not their own. That's how losing all sensitivity works right, in a well-to-do neighborhood where mass shootings are just not supposed to happen, the news media flies in in helicopters. In predominantly black, crime-ridden neighborhoods where mass shootings just are part of the routine of life, we are desensitized to it. Is this too much? Is this too hard? Because this is how it works. Why are we stunned and shocked when people do evil and terrible things? Why are we surprised by that? I mean, the Bible just said that someone who doesn't know Jesus is desensitized to the ways of God, the values of God, the morals of God. They they don't don't feel any drive to to do what God calls them to do or to live like God tells them to live. And so the fact that people who don't follow Jesus live like they don't follow Jesus, why are we surprised at that? Why Why does that make us go, I don't understand how the world's so bad? I don't know how people can be so evil. Well, this text tells us that if a person is disconnected, they're disconnected from Jesus, they they do not have the life of God in them, then what happens is they've lost all sensitivity. Their heart has scarred over, if you will. It's calloused over is another way to think about it. When a person, and if you're in this camp, listen carefully if you're online or you're you're, listening to the podcast, when a person believes, and maybe you believe this, when a person believes that their own pleasure and their own happiness matters above everything else, and then they act on that belief, they tend to think that they're free and they could do whatever they want. But listen to me, you're actually trapped. You're actually trapped. And that's what this text is describing. Because if you are living this life believing that I just want to be happy, I just want to do whatever it takes to be happy, I'm just going to chase my happiness, I'm going to go after my fulfillment and get what I want to get, and get is all I can get. If that's what you're thinking, let me tell you where you will find it. Never. You will never get there. You will never cross that finish line. If if you are living for you, if you're living for your own happiness and your own fulfillment and your own sense of like, uh, you know, I get what I want. I do what I want. If that's what you're living for, you will never arrive at a place where you say, oh man, I finally made it. You will always be looking for more. This is why Paul says that they are full of greed because people who are looking for a way to fulfill their lives and to make their lives happy and to make their lives meaningful apart from God are naturally full of greed because you can never get enough to fill the hole that God put in you that only He can fill. So, this idea that I just want to be happy, I'm going to chase my happiness, I'm going to go after it. I'm telling you, that's a trap. That's a lie from Satan. And there's so many people living in it. And this is why Paul says, this is a life full of greed. But let's be honest as believers, because we, we assumed we're all believers in the room. Let's be honest for just a second. I'll be honest if you won't. The description we just read is not just of non believers, is it? People who are lost all sensitivity, people who are, you know, uh, indulgent in purity, people who are full of greed. Does that only apply to, pe- to non believers, or does that apply to some of us too? <laughs> it applies to me too. See, this description, uh, for us, even as believers, we still find ourselves in this place where maybe maybe you're not ever in this place, but I'm in this place sometimes where we're just kind of like tired and we just want what we want. And have you ever said this out loud? Jesus, could I have a week where you leave me alone? I just do whatever I want. I never said it out loud either, but I've said it in my heart. And then there's been weeks of my life and days of my life and maybe longer seasons, seasons than that, months or years, where I've just lived that way and didn't tell anybody. I mean, so have you. We've all lived that way. Because, because this description also fits those of us who know Jesus and follow Jesus. We, too, are prone to chase whatever makes us happy. We, too, are prone to... to to go after things that we know are impure and not good for us, to live in such a way that is not healthy, and to never have enough of it, to be trapped by greed. But let me tell you the difference. The difference is in that clause, the having lost all sensitivity. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity. You see, the thing that a believer in Jesus cannot lose, that a non-believer in Jesus doesn't have, is that sensitivity to God and His ways. So think back to a time when maybe you were living in such a way that you just ignored God. You're just doing whatever you want. You're living for whatever made you happy. You're going after Whatever, And you you claimed to be a believer at the time. You said, yeah, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. But at the same time, you had a secret life. You were duplicitous. Think back. Didn't you know the whole time that something wasn't right? Didn't you know the whole time? Wasn't there this gnawing sense of you, inside of you, that man, I am not doing and living the way God has called me to live. I'm not following Him. And and, and I tell you, I talk to guys who, uh, and, and women as well, but the place I see this often is in whenever um, there's an extramarital affair. So I'll talk to, let's say, the, the, the husband, and he'll say to me, man, you know, every time like I would go see my, my girlfriend, my side girl, I'd feel terrible, and I knew I wasn't doing what God, I knew that I wasn't living the life that God wanted me to live. I knew, I knew I needed to repent. I knew I needed to change. I knew something needed to be different. And yet they would go back. And they would go back. And none of us, uh, maybe, maybe we haven't uh, had an extramarital affair, but we know that sense of like knowing something's not good for us, knowing it's outside of God's design for us, and yet we keep going back. Anybody else want to admit to that? We keep going back. But that awareness, that that deep little pain inside of you that says, hey, you're out of alignment with God. Hey, you're out of alignment with God. That is actually evidence that you are a follower of Jesus, that you are a believer in Jesus, that you are still connected. To him, And it's the evidence that God is still working inside of you and that God is still progressing inside of you and processing inside of you. It's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is still working on you and working through you. It's the evidence. That little, that little bit of pain inside of you, that little bit of like, I need to change, I need to repent, I need to change my life. That little bit inside of you is the proof that the Holy Spirit has not given up on you. Thank God. Thank God. And if you're a believer here today, and maybe you're trapped in something, that, that trap of greed, you can't get enough. And I don't mean greed financially. I mean greed like you can't get enough to make you happy. Whatever your poison is. It might be money, might be sex, might be drugs, might be just workaholism. Who knows what it is? It might be porn. Who knows what it is for you? But you can't get enough. If you're a believer and you're trapped in that right now, what I'm telling you is that little bit of pain and that little bit of uncomfortableness that you feel, that is a gift from God to you to draw you back to Him. It proves that you're one of His. And while none of us are perfect, nobody here has got it all together. If you're a believer in Jesus, you know, you know because you are sensitive to the fact when you are out of alignment with God. So, a believer in Jesus, follower of Jesus, it is not impossible for us to get caught up in sin, habitual sin, and do stupid stuff. Somebody say amen. (laughs) It is not impossible for us to get caught up in stupid stuff. What is impossible for us is to be insensitive to God who is not giving up on us. That's the evidence. You still connected to Him. The, di- the distinction between believers and non-believers is what the Bible calls repentance. So believers are constantly trying to renew their minds. They're constantly trying to fight the demons that are, uh, 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 that are attacking them. They're constantly trying to repent in their minds, to change their minds about their actions, and to realign their lives with God. And they will repent on Monday and fail on Monday Monday morning and fail on Monday afternoon. Somebody say amen. But then Monday evening, they will repent again. And then Tuesday morning, they will fail. And then Tuesday afternoon, they will repent. And like this is, this is like the idea that you to be, for you to be a Christian, you have to get it right. You got to be perfect. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, friends, no, no. To be a Christian, we have to be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit and consistently and constantly come back to Him and repent and allow Him to work in our lives and knowing that the process and the progress is taking place. It's happening. He's renewing our minds, slowly chipping away at our sinful desires and replacing them with holy and righteous desires. Slowly, slowly, slowly. Look at verse 22 through 24 again real quick. Paul says, uh, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, so where this repentance happens, where we fight this battle, is here in our minds. This is why Paul says the renewing of our minds. So we we put off our old life. We say, hey, I don't want to live that way anymore because it's being corrupted. And, And we're being made new in the attitude of my mind so that I can put on my new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So where does the, you guys remember seesaws? You guys remember this? So where's the hinge on the seesaw? If over here is the old self we're throwing away, and over here is the new self we're putting on, where's the hinge? In the, in the renewing of our mind. In the, the renewing of the attitude of our minds. And what did Paul say? That the, the non-believer, their issue is in their what? Where, where was it? In their thinking. You see what I'm saying? Y'all, y'all see the connection here? You see the connection? The problem with the ones, who, if you didn't reject Jesus, if you say the story of Jesus isn't true, if you just deny this whole thing, then, then what Paul is saying is that for you, your thinking is futile, it's darkened. It, I, I'm not trying to offend you, but the text just says you're ignorant. You don't know what you don't know, okay? But the pathway to putting off that old life and putting on a new life, the pathway is also in the mind. To renew our mind, to change the attitude of our Thinking. And then in verse 22, Paul tells us how we are made new in the attitude of our minds. If this is the battleground, right here, the seesaw, if this is the battleground to go from the old self to the new self, is to change the attitude of my mind, if this is where it's got to happen, then verse 22 tells us, I'm sorry, I got confused there for a second. <laughs> verse 21 tells us where that, how that battle happens in our mind, and how we win it. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Okay. So the renewing of my mind happens, or the changing of the attitude of my mind happens when I learn and believe the truth about Jesus but more than that, when I meet Jesus. When we've been taught about Christ and about the truth that is only found by knowing Him, being in relationship with Him, then our mind begins to be made new. And this is what so many of us as Christians grew up with and what so many of us have believed as Christians, is we think that Christianity is about believing the right set of doctrines the right set of beliefs. If you get all your doctrinal beliefs in a row and you believe A through D and you don't confuse E and get it up here, if you, if you know enough Bible, if you've got enough doctrine, if you've got enough theology, and if you believe the right stuff, then you too can be saved. But that is not the truth. And there are many people who have just enough Jesus in their life to be inoculated from knowing Jesus actually. And who said that? Does anybody know who said that? I can't remember her name right now. It was a famous uh, writer, Catholic writer who was born in Savannah. Who was she? I can't think of her name. I'll remember this later. and post it on my Facebook. Y'all, y'all remember that. We have just enough Jesus to be inoculated from actually knowing Jesus. Because we think, hey, I know all the facts. I go to church. I know all the stuff. But what Paul is saying is that we come to be renewed in our minds and have the attitude of our minds changed not by having the right set of beliefs or the right formula, but by actually knowing Jesus Christ. Because Jesus can be known, He cares about us, and He changes us, and He saves us. And the change that he brings to our lives when we meet him, and and if you've met Jesus, you know this to be true, the change that he brings to our life when we meet him, it starts small and it starts slow and he begins to work in us. And oftentimes he works in areas that we kind of knew needed to be changed. We're like, well, yeah, I mean, I kind of knew I needed to change that. And then slowly over time, he begins to change things in us that we didn't even recognize that we needed to change. He works in us and he changes us and he moves our selfishness away from us, our greed away from us. He removes our sinful desires away from us, and He replaces it with a brand new self. And in verse 24 said that self is like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now let me just tell you something. If you believe Christianity is about you going out there and trying to live good enough, white knuckle it enough, to be holy and righteous like God, you are miserable. Because guess what? You can't do it. You cannot white knuckle yourself to holiness and righteousness. That's like. Listen to this statement, guys. Look at verse 24. This new self is like God in righteousness and created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Come on. This is not like be a really good person that holds the door for old ladies. This is be like God. How many of us are like God in our holiness and righteousness? Anybody want to say, yeah, me? How many of us are even close? How many of us even have an idea of what that is? I don't, we're clueless. But what the text says is that when we come to know Jesus, when we give Jesus our lives and we enter into a relationship with him, he starts working on us and working inside of us and through the Holy Spirit changing us so that we arrive at a righteousness and a holiness that is like God's. And you're thinking, I don't know, brother, that seems way off. I get it. I get it. I, I, I look in the mirror too. But the promise isn't just for this life. It's for the life to come. And that's what Paul's talking about. He, Jesus is working on us and changing us and make, bringing us into a righteousness and holiness that's like God. And it's leading ultimately to life forever and eternity that will be. we will have righteousness and holiness like God. Okay. We're going to read the next section very quickly and wrap this up. Because the next thing Paul does is he gives us a description of what our new clothes look like. He says, hey, these are what the new clothes, when you put on the new self, here's kind of what it looks like, how you can kind of gauge if you've put on the new self or not. So verses 25 through 32. And what I'm about to read to you, you're going to feel like this is totally impossible. I'm never going to be able to live this out. If you feel that way when I read this, good! That means you're not self-righteous. All right, because we don't like, nobody likes self-righteous people, okay? So if you, when I read this out loud and you go, man, I could never do, I'm never going to be that person. That's a good thing, because you know why? You're right, you're never going to be that person. Only Jesus, by knowing Jesus, can this person come up out of you. It's only Jesus inside of you that brings this person out of you. It's only Jesus leading your life that this person comes up out of you. So listen to this text, and don't feel shame and guilt about how you're not reaching it, Listen to this text and think, that's possible? I could be that person if I gave my life to Jesus? If I let Him have control of my life, if I surrendered my life to Him, I could be this person? Listen to this. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are members of one body. So far, not too bad. Don't lie. All right? Don't lie. In your anger, do not sin. Oh, wait a minute. But you don't know what she did, brother. You do not know what she did. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Ooh, ooh, okay. What if it's been like 19 years I've been letting the sun go down? And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Oh man, just stop. Anybody ever have any unwholesome talk come out of their mouths? Don't raise your hand. We know. You don't have to confess. We know. You know how we know? Because your heart's beating. That's how we know. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That phrase right there. Only for what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Now think about that for a second. That means if I'm talking to you, whose needs am I thinking about all the time? James, whose needs am I thinking about all the time? I'm, 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 look, I'm talking to you. I'm thinking about your needs, right? I'm not thinking about my needs. I'm thinking about your needs. This is what this text says. That means every conversation I'm having, guess who I'm not thinking about? Me. Guess who I am thinking about? You. How y'all doing on that? How's the grade on that in your life? I mean, I'll be honest. Sometimes I'm talking to you and I'm like, man, I'm really hungry. I mean, I'm talking to you, and you, I'm, we might even be having a really good conversation where you're telling me something very meaningful, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I love this person, but I'm really hungry. But this text says that when Jesus is working inside of me, when I'm talking to someone, I, I, the words that come, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. That means all the time, 100% of the time, the words that come out of my mouth are words that are meant to be building you up according to your needs to benefit you. So I'm thinking about your needs. I'm thinking about my words and I'm trying to to build you up at all moments. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I'm using my words to build me up. Am I the only one that's going to be honest? Okay, that's cool. Man, that text right there blows me away. You know God had to write that. Verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. With whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That just means don't live a life where you ignore the Holy Spirit's prompting in your life. Where you reject Jesus and you, and, you, and you don't pay attention to what God's doing in your life. I don't know about you, but there are days where I'm not paying attention to what God's doing in my life. Verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling. That just means infighting. That's not like bar brawl. I know you're like, well, I don't really brawl anybody. That just means like infighting. And I know y'all infight. Don't even try to tell me you don't. And slander. Nobody slanders. Along with every form of malice. Y'all ready for this one? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ forgave you. Now, how do y'all feel after like me reading that? Y'all feel like, hey, you're doing pretty good? Like, what would you grade yourself? Seriously, y'all let y'all your grade F's of failing A plus is like you're killing it. Where are you at? Where's your grade? What's your grade, anybody? C, D. Okay, so the very fact that we do this, listen, look at me. The very fact that we do this kind of exercise where we read the Bible to see, when we read the Bible to see kind of how we're doing, whether we're doing good or not doing good, look at me, we're missing the point of the Bible. Now, this is the most important thing I need you to hear me say today. When you read passages of scripture like this, I know that we tend to focus on Kind of either, depending on your personality, we tend to focus on what we're doing well or we tend to focus on how bad we are. You know where you are on the, on the continuum. You either, you either go, man, I'm doing pretty good. Like, I mean, they should let me preach next week. I think I got this down pretty good. You think I'm doing good. You're wrong, by the way, okay? So you, you think I'm doing... Or your personality where you read a text like this and you go, I'm terrible, I'm horrible. I don't even know why Jesus loves me. Uh, you know, I should just give up on everything, right? This is the human response to Scripture that, listen to me, is not the point of the Scripture. We're missing the point of the Bible when we do that. The Bible is not given to us, and texts like this are not given to us so that we can read them and feel better about ourselves or feel worse about ourselves, okay? Because then we can read verses like verse 28 and go, well, I don't really steal. I I work. I I go to work every day, and I give money away. That is not the goal of scripture to help you feel good about yourself or to help you feel bad about yourself. No, the goal of scripture like this is to lead you into a deeper relationship with your savior, Jesus Christ. That's the goal of scripture. That's what scripture is trying to do. Scripture. So I have people all the time come see me and they go, Hey man, I just want to talk to you about this passage. I don't know if I'm doing good with this. I don't know if I'm, I'm like, listen, 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 listen. Do you love Jesus? Do you listen for His voice? Do you follow Him? Then the Scriptures are meant to help you, point you to the greatest love of your life, Jesus Christ, who loves you more than you could ever imagine. You read the Scripture to find and discover who Jesus is, and then in the process of discovering who Jesus is, you discover who you are in Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit... Yeah, you can clap. That's good. When we read the... Oh, goodness. When we read the Bible to affirm ourselves, because there are a lot of you who do that, You read the Bible to affirm, well, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I got this Jesus thing down, bro. Or if we read the Bible to shame us into better behavior, we're missing the Jesus who loves us. We're choosing a set of beliefs and a formula to save us. We're placing our faith in, in like doctrine and theology. Replacing our faith in getting everything right instead of our faith in a man named Jesus who loves you. The Bible is not a rule book. It is not a rule book. It is not a rule book. There is one rule to love Jesus. And from that, everything else works itself out. When I love Jesus, I follow Jesus. I do what Jesus tells me to do. The Bible is not a manual for living. It's not here to make you feel better about yourself or to feel worse about yourself. The Bible is here to lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And here's the thing. When we read that description, there were parts of it that all of us are doing pretty good on. And there are parts of it that all of us as my daddy used to say, are sucking wind on. That's not the point. The point is that Paul is saying, if this description is ever going to apply to your heart, Stephen, if this description is ever going to apply to your heart, Todd, if this... Descriptions ever going to apply to your heart, Luke. If this description is ever going to apply to your heart, Jennifer. If this description is ever going to apply to your heart, Austin. If this description is ever going to apply to your heart, it's not by you being determined to get these things into your life. It's going to be by you being determined to surrender your life to the leadership and the Lordship of Jesus Christ every single day. It is in that process that these things become a reality for you. By loving Jesus enough to give him control of your life every day, and listen to me, that is way harder than just following some rules. I mean, Give me 12 rules, I'll dominate in things every day, bro. Get to heaven and be like, yo, check it out. Straight A's, man. I killed it. Where's my mansion? This is all I get. Like, I killed the rules every day. Following the rules is easy. But to know a person and to be in relationship with a person named Jesus and to, to listen to him, To follow Him. That's way more difficult. It's more difficult to constantly and consistently fight the battle of wanting what I want and just wanting to be happy. And instead, surrendering my life to Jesus and choosing suffering over self, if that's what He calls me to. It's a constant battle to tune my heart and my thinking, my thinking to his values, to his thoughts and his behaviors. It's a constant battle to surrender to him. Way more difficult than following the rules. So let's just be honest together. Everybody in this room, most likely and watching online, you most likely all believe the right things about Jesus. but you're not really straining to surrender to him or let him, live your, let him lead your life. Let's be honest about that. But what if today you just said that to him? Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died for me. I believe you resurrected. I believe you, you paid for my sins. I believe all that. I just, I just have a hard time giving you my life. What if you just were honest? Because Jesus can work with your honesty way before he can work with your pretense. I led a a young man to Christ at camp two weeks ago on the last night of camp. His name was uh, Andrew. I called him Ricardo the whole week at camp. Uh, I don't know why. Because I'm an idiot, basically. And he was an incoming freshman. He wasn't in my cabin. Um... But one night I shared my testimony at camp, and so a lot of these kids came to talk to me, and he was coming to talk to me the last night at 1 a.m. 1 a.m., people. You love Jesus when you sit down with a 14-year-old at 1 a.m. at a picnic table at camp, underneath the porch lights. And he begins to tell me about how his life is hard, and people make fun of him, and it's a tough story. I end up sharing the gospel with him. I said, Andrew, uh, do you believe this stuff about Jesus? He goes, you know, before I came to camp, I really didn't believe any of this. I just didn't think it was true at all. But now some of the pieces are starting to come together. I said, so you believe Jesus is God's son? He said, yeah, I believe Jesus is God's son. I said, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Yeah, yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I said, that's great, Andrew. I said, do you believe he resurrected from the dead so you could live forever? He said, yeah, I believe that. I believe Jesus resurrected from the dead. I said, that's great, Andrew. I said, Andrew, do you give Jesus your whole life? He paused a second. He looked down. He said, I I give Jesus my whole whole life mostly. I said, he'll take that. I said, he'll take that. Because if you can just start with a little bit. If you can just start with a little bit, that's how he'll start changing your clothes. And he'll renew your heart. And one day you won't even recognize yourself anymore. Because that's what Jesus can do for each of us. Father, thank you. Help us to surrender to your son, Jesus. Even if it's just a little bit today. Even if it's just a little bit or mostly. Help us to say, hey, Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life. And for those people watching or listening or sitting in the room right now who don't really know how to do that, Lord, they can just pray, Jesus, I give you my life today. I'll probably take it back tomorrow morning, but I'll try again tomorrow. They can just pray, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you, Father, for saving us. Amen. Hey, if today, if you want to talk with somebody, if you're ready to say, hey, I want to surrender my life to Jesus, or maybe you're a believer trapped in some greed, and I don't mean money greed, you know what I'm talking about. Can't get enough greed. And you need somebody to pray with you. We're going to have Chris and Dawn up here. They were the ones that led us through communion and hosted with us. So you want to come up and pray with Chris or Dawn. Uh, They're going to be hanging out right here after the service. And so um, just feel free to make your way up here and see them and pray with them and to tell them the thoughts you have. Ask them questions. Tell them what you're confused about. They'll help you. Guys, we love you. Thank you for being here today. Have a wonderful week and a blessed rest of your day.